Who's ready to read the Bible? Anybody? Anybody? One person. Praise God. Who's got a real Bible with them today? Okay, we've, we're almost at revival levels. Three is the baseline for revival levels, and we have not hit that, so I'm disappointed, and so are you. But that's all right. You can remedy this situation by bringing a paper Bible next week, and if you do not have one, we can get one for you at the back today. Now, we also have a, a fresh delivery in the house. We've got... We shouldn't clap or anything because she's sleeping. Uh, Aurora Dodd over there with, with Matt, he's, uh, that technique is pretty flawless. He just drank out of his mug and is holding his brand new baby, week old. Is, it, is she a week already? Tonight. So also commitment at church within a week. There's no excuses, people. Um, so yeah, why don't we do a very quiet clap and welcome Aurora Dodd to church. Very... That quiet clap is an awkward thing. It feels strange for everybody. Uh, But hey, here we go. We're going to read the Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 13. If you're ready, say quietly because we don't want to wake the baby. I'm ready. (laughs) Uh, Quiet engagement is the worst. Okay. Just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet and welcome him. But Samuel said, what is this you have done? pretty good cliffhanger, huh? What is this you have done? Let me give you some context. King Saul was the first ever king of Israel. Uh, The people up until this point were not following a a king. They were just following God, and God would appoint a prophet, and the prophet would speak on behalf of God to the people, and that's how they would be led. There was also a a season, there's, there's, there's people called judges, and that's a whole bunch of church history, but there was not a formal king, but the Israelites looked around, and they looked at their neighbors, and they said, we want what they have, and they have a king, which is one person to blame and one person to celebrate. We just want one person. And God said, okay, so I can't be your person. I, I get that. I'm, I'm disappointed, but I'll, I'll bend. And so he allows them to appoint a king, and God picks, handpicks a king. And he sends Samuel, and he picks this guy, Saul, an unlikely candidate. Though he was tall, he was strapping. He dealt with some insecurity issues. And God picked him, and he hand-appointed him. He said, this is your guy. This is the king. And they made Saul king. He didn't want to be king. He was kind of reluctant, but he stepped into it and he did it. Now, the thing that I love about these accounts in scripture is that the apostle Paul tells us in the book of Romans that all of the Old Testament is for our learning because what it does is it allows us to study the interaction between humanity and God. And we find and identify patterns that keep coming back around. And so what happens with Saul is that he gets appointed king And Samuel gives him all these specific groupings of instruction. He says, you're going to go do this, and this is going to happen. You're going to do this, and this is going to happen. You're going to run into this band of traveling prophets. They're going to play these three instruments. And if you see those, you're going to start prophesying. And then the Bible says that God will actually change your heart. And he did change Saul's heart. It was so specific, but everything God said to him, he did. And when Saul began as king, he just simply followed the voice of God, followed what the prophet said, followed what God said, and he always saw a victory every single time. Saul moves over to this place called 
Gilgal. It's not too far from his hometown. It's on the eastern border. And they send a small contingency led by his son Jonathan into battle. And Jonathan goes into battle. And they win this battle. And everyone gets stoked. But it's like a small victory. It's like a thousand men win this battle. So they, they, sh- they, they blow into this ram's horn. Now, don't judge. It's a thousand B.C. Uh, they all come clamoring. And all the Israelites come and gather like, we're going to have a mighty victory. But what they did was tick off the Philistines, their neighbors. And so they all gathered in one place. But the Philistines gathered too. And it says that the armies were as many as the grains of sand on a beach. They're a little nervous. Now Saul has specific instructions. Going back to his appointment as king in 1 Samuel 10 verse 8. says, then go down to Gilgal ahead of me ahead of Samuel, I will join you there to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings, which is one of their acts of worship. He says, you must wait for seven days until I arrive and give you further instructions. So up until this point, every time Saul listened to God, there was a victory. But you know, something starts to happen in the human heart when you get used to your new state of being. You know, you move into a new season, and that new season is something that you've been praying for for a long time, you've been believing for for a long time, and, and maybe it's even stretching. It might be a new job. It might be a new opportunity. It might be a new house. It might be a new baby. Whatever that thing might be, you move into this new season, and, and, and inside of you, you're just like, oh, I just, I just God, how am I going to do this? And yet he, he, he leads you forward, and, and you just feel his peace about it, and you step into it, and you're so grateful, and you're so thankful, and it's so stretching, and you're just like, oh, God, this is amazing, but this is so crazy, and you just, you just realize that he was the one who led you there, that brought you there, but you know what human nature does? to us is the longer that we stay there, the more we think that we had something to do with it. So Saul becomes king, follows every instruction from God, but then he starts realizing like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm king. Like people listen to me. I can do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. And if I'm going to take the land, I'm going to take the land. I want more land. I want more stuff. And you're like, well, pastor, I'm, I'm not a king. I'm not taking any more land. Maybe not. But there's a new season ahead for you, maybe. God's got something else for you. And he brought you into this current season. And at the beginning, you felt so good about it. It just felt so great. And there was challenges and there were struggles, but you were so thankful. But you get into it, and now your heart has turned a little bit. And it's, it's not as much thankfulness as it's much like discontentment. And like, I guess this is it. I guess this is it now. I guess I'm just going to do what I need to do. And the pressure starts getting on. And instead of going back to the source who led us into this season, you start trying to figure it out on your own. Because that's just what we do as humans. We start to try and figure it out. We start to try and solve the problem because we're like, okay, God brought me here. He led me here. He made it happen. He opened the door. He created me. He gifted me in this way. But why would I ask him for help when I could just do it myself? Have you ever had that moment when you go to meet somebody for coffee and you're 10 minutes early and they're one minute and 35 seconds late and you just question everything about your life? Where you're just like, did I say it's the right time? Did I say it's the right place? Like, is, like did, I, did I say it's the wrong location? Should I order for them? Should I just order for me? If I order for me, well, then how am I going to pay for them? Or are they going to pay for me? Who invited who out at this time? And then you start calculating, like, every conversation and everything that you did. And it turns out that they were just literally walking in the door. But you were having a minor panic attack about whether or not you were at the right place at the right time. Or is this clearly just me having some counseling? 
right now. But sometimes, you know, that person's 10 minutes late, and you're like, wow, I, do they even like me? Are we friends? Do they hate me? Did I say something earlier? Is no, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And now you're mad when they walk, and you're like, what? Come at me. And it's like, I just had to find parking. But there's just like this like insecurity that comes with it. I feel like that's what Saul was feeling because he was said to wait for seven days. But every day that he waited for the prophet to come, the, the, the natural situation got worse and worse and worse. His soldiers started to desert. He started with thousands. He ends up with 600. And the Bible says they started hiding in, in holes and caves and cisterns. I, I think if it was like the 21st century, they'd be hiding in like, if this was an acreage in a field, they'd be hiding in like the sanitary sewage tank or whatever. They're just hiding anywhere where they have to go because they're so afraid. Some even jumped the border. They just left the country. They're like, fight? Nah, I'm out. (laughs) Immigrating. They just left. So Saul's panicking, and he's like, I got to do something. I got to do something. Uh, I got, I, I'm the king. Like, I should do something. Like, what's going to make people feel better? Like, what do I do? What do I do? It's like day one, it's day two. He gets all the way to the end of day seven. He's like, he's not here. He's not here. I mean, it's hour six and day seven, but he's not here. He said he was going to be here. He's like, fine, fine. I'm just, I'm just going to do it. And he goes up, and he makes these offerings and these sacrifices, which was really an act of worship in the 21st century. The best equivalent that we could do is they started singing and worshiping it and doing these things, and then Samuel shows up. He's like, what have you done? See, Saul shifted it. Saul wasn't worshiping. Saul was panicking. He made a political move to make people feel better. He used the worship of the Almighty God as a tool to manipulate his soldiers. And he blatantly disobeyed the direction of God. If we've been Christians for a while, I wonder how many times we've used the name or the face of God to justify our decision, even though we knew he didn't give us the okay, he didn't give us the clear. We just wanted to move forward, so we just said, but God said, but we knew that it wasn't really him it looked enough like it sounded enough like it you kind of basically followed the instruction if you have the uversion bible app and you're following along in your notes uh, in the uversion bible app if you're not you can open it up and you hit the more button in the bottom right hand corner hit events and you'll see all the bible verses for today you'll also find that i left you a youtube video in there today and uh there's this video, I don't know if you've seen it, you will see it if you have it on the app, called Jesus is a Friend of Mine, and it's a 1970s Christian music group in full, like, polyester jumpsuits, uh, singing, Jesus is a friend of mine, Jesus is a friend of mine, and you will never forget that phrase if you watch that video, so I'm just going to leave that wonderful gift with you, but today, if I could, if I could communicate anything, is that that Jesus is my friend and he's your friend. Jesus is a friend of mine, a friend of ours. And we know that we're friends because of the way that he wants to communicate with us and the way that he wants to lead us and guide us in our lives. This is, uh, in some ways, the landing of the One Step at a Time series. And the, the best way that we could pivot it is understand that we follow Jesus one step at a time because we're in a 
one-on-one personal relationship, friendship with Jesus. Jesus is not only an ethereal savior who's, who's, who's up somewhere just judging and looking down on our lives. No, he wants to walk with us in every season, in every moment. This is what it says in John 15, 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that have heard, uh, for all that I've heard from the Father, I have made known to you. Now we used to sing this song. We should probably bring it back. Break my heart for what breaks yours. There's this phrase. And I think that so communicates this thought that as we become friends with Jesus we develop a relationship with Jesus that it's not just about knowledge or information but it becomes about a personal journey and friendship with him where we begin to understand his heart, not just his directive. Sometimes it feels like maybe our journey feels like do this or don't do this or move in this direction. But more than doing things or accomplishing things for him, God wants, Jesus wants to do it with us. And he wants us to understand why. He wants us to understand why. It's kind of crazy, Colossians 2 verse 9 in the ESV version says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. It's talking about Jesus. You're like, I don't even know what half that phrase means. It's a tongue twister. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. We should all say it together really fast, as fast as we can go. Here we go, one, two, three. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Oh, that was pretty good. That's who Jesus is. You're like, I still don't understand. Let's try it in the New Living Translation. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So Jesus is everything. He is all God. He is he's all powerful. He is everything. And that everything wants to have a personal one-on-one relationship with you to the point where he just wants to walk through life with you. It says this in the next verse, so you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. You are made complete in your union or your relationship or your friendship with Christ. And that friend happens to be the head over every ruler and authority. Jesus is a friend of mine. When I was at Bible College, I can say this because Desiree's in Stony Plain. Everybody wanted to date Desiree. Hot tamale, just like everyone was after her. And, uh, and you're like, who's Desiree? That's my wife. And uh, you don't know that she actually exists because you don't usually see her because she's in kids. But she does, and she's a smoke show. Uh, <laughs> Ten out of ten. And I am not anywhere near that, and it is the grace of God. I'm just going to let you know. But at Bible college, everyone wants to date Desiree, okay? And me too. So (laughs) I have one competitive advantage, though. I actually listen. See, Des was very, very clear. She said, in Bible college, it's kind of weird. There's 
every, all these relationships happening. Everyone talks. It's just a small little environment. And so, like, what, what, I don't, she's like, I don't want to date anybody. I don't want to go on one-on-one dates with anyone. I just want to, I just want to, you know, hang out in groups and hang out and do my thing. And so every other suitor, which I would also sub in the word fool, uh, tried, <laughs> tried to date Desiree. By taking her out on one-on-one dates, and guess what she did? She just knocked them down. They kept coming. She just rejected them left, right, and center. So what does a wise person do? A person who's called of the Lord, who follows Jesus one step at a time. They create perfectly formed grouped experiences with six to eight people hand-selected so that every event was handcrafted to her liking and desire, and that... Amazingly, I always step beside her every single time. It was just incredible how it happened because when you listen to somebody and you care about what they like and how they want to be approached and how you talk to them and how you get to know them, it doesn't matter how mediocre looking you are. I'm going to see a victory. But most of us treat Jesus like the Bible college guys where we just don't listen. We just go to him with what we want in the way we want it, how we want it, when we want it. And we just say, I want this right now. And Jesus says, it's not like that. It's a relationship. We have to talk back and forth to one another. We have to speak. I know like you're like, well, I I don't want like how are you going to tell me to read my Bible and pray? Yeah, I am. You're like. I didn't have to come to church for that. Well, you didn't do it last week. (laughs) Like, hold on. How do you know? I asked the Lord about it. And he told me that I didn't do it enough. So I'm just assuming you're in the same boat. Because it's not just about I'm going to check a box and open my version Bible reading plan and, and just do what I have to do to get it done in the morning. It's about am I listening to the voice of God because Jesus wants to be a part of my life. And it's not about what I can do for him or make happen for him. It's about what we can do together and how he wants to be an intimate part of my life. So it's not about just knowledge and knowledge exchange where I'm just going to learn and get smarter and smarter and smarter and grow in the depth of the understanding of the word. Because the depth of the understanding of the word is irrelevant if you don't know the person who spoke it and wrote it. Because you're missing the heart behind the words on the page. And so he calls us and he draws us and he woos us into this personal one-on-one relationship with him. Because Jesus is a friend of mine. He doesn't want to just be a taskmaster or a boss. If he did, he would have made us automatons who couldn't make a decision to follow him. And yet he gives us this choice, this ability to choose him. Knowing that he full well has the ability to just make us do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants. And yet he invites us into a journey because he loves us, wants to do life with us. And I wonder how many of us have missed the goodness of God. Because we try to perform for God. And he just wanted to have a conversation. I pray a prayer over my sons every night. And I pray simple prayer. And the last part says, God, may Everett or may Kingston know you and be known by you. 
We don't have to be people who just know God, know about God, sorry. We can be people who are known by God. Did you notice this thing that happened in 1 Samuel 10, verse 8? Then go down to Gilgal ahead of me, and I will join you there to sacrifice burnt offerings. This is Samuel speaking to Saul. You must wait for seven days until I arrive and give you further instructions. Sometimes God speaks, and we hear what we want to hear when we want to hear it. What Saul heard was, I'm gonna, Samuel will be here in seven, seven days, and then we're going to get victory. What God said was, I'll meet you in seven days and give you further instruction. I wonder how many times we've shortchanged God's plans and purposes because we superimposed our idea about what the end of that waiting period looked like instead of awaiting further instruction. Colossians 2, verse 6. Now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Second Samuel, sorry, Colossians 2, verse 6 to 7. Now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Did you, did you catch that? You must continue to follow him. We accepted Christ Jesus, but sometimes we can make a decision not to follow him, or we can make a decision to hang back. We must choose consciously every day. You must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. And this is what will happen. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Because when you walk with Jesus, personally, one-on-one, -on -one, in the good situations and in the ugly situations, we can find ourselves being over whelmed and overflowing with thankfulness because we know that he led us here. He's not finished with us. That which he started, he will bring to completion. That he's leading us and he's guiding us. That there's further instruction to come that we've not been abandoned. You know, later in, in Psalm 37, we derived our phrase one step at a time. In verses 23, 24, but if you go further down in Psalm 37, it says, Never have I seen the righteous or the godly forsaken. Never have I seen the godly abandoned. You might feel like you're on the brink of godly abandonment. Can I tell you it's just time and it's just a season to await further instruction. When all the chaos is happening all around us, and it feels like walls are closing in, and it feels like there's a lot of white noise and a lot of pain and a lot of panic. We take the wise words of the wise king in Proverbs 4, and we say, look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. And what lies before you is Jesus. <laughs> look straight ahead. You must continue to follow him. Look straight ahead. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. 
That's how we walk through the valley of the shadow of death and we fear no evil because we fix our eyes on what's ahead of us. It's how we, we, we stumble, but we do not fall because we fix our eyes on what's ahead and we see what's in front of us in his name is Jesus and we see victory and we see life and we see hope. We look straight ahead and we fix our eyes on what lies before you. What lies before you is so much better than what lies behind you. And sometimes we get distracted by what's behind we can't have the band come because I'll just keep preaching. Sometimes we get so distracted by what has happened behind us that we forget that our friend Jesus is calling us ahead into a bright and glorious future. And we define ourselves by we haven't got to where we go. How can we haven't gotten that far? We, this, is, this is as far as I've come. This is it. And yet Jesus, your friend, whispers to you, actually, no, 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 no. Look how far you've come. Look how far you've come. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes before you. Jesus is standing there. Why don't you bow your heads, close your eyes all across this place. Life's not easy. It's not simple. It's not black and white. It's not clear. But what is clear is that Jesus gave himself for us while we were utterly helpless at just the right time. It says in Romans 5, Jesus died for us sinners while we were still his enemies so we could become his friends. He restored and put back together the pieces of a broken relationship, a separation that he brought us so we could do life together, not in a subservient way but in a way where we could do it as friends where we could walk together in lockstep where we follow him and he leads us into the most incredible journey where our faith goes down deep into his love and our identity is not found in what we do but in the simple fact that we know him and are known by him and that we are who he says we are which is his masterpiece handcrafted Luke 12 says that he knows how many hairs are on our heads, but not only does he know how many hairs there are, but he has numbered them. So when one comes out in a comb or in the shower, he knows about that. I'm usually concerned about it, but he tells me to trust him one step at a time. But he knows down to the number of eyelashes and hairs because that's who he is. He cares about the details of our lives so we can trust Him in those things. If you're here today and you've never made it a personal decision to follow Jesus, you've never made a choice for yourself to invite Him into your life, to have a relationship with Him, can I tell you, my friend, this is your moment. This is your time. Jesus is here. He wants to walk with you through life. At times, You're going to be tempted to say, I thought the Christian life was supposed to be comfortable. No, we have to learn to become comfortable with the uncomfortable, knowing that Jesus is leading us forward into something so much more than just this. So if you're here today and you would like to make a personal decision for yourself to follow Jesus, 
have a friendship with the creator of the universe. And with every head bowed, eye closed, I'm going to count down from three. As I'm counting down, every person in this room that's been exactly where you are is praying for you. So if you want to start that journey with Jesus, you just give me a wave. In three, two, one. Quick wave, quick wave, quick wave, quick wave, quick wave. Amen. 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 Amen means next week we're bringing somebody new to church with us. also means that Jesus is calling you forward as a believer to something so much more. He's asking you to take the limitations off. He's asking you to take the box off. He's asking you to think outside of your theological paradigm and understand that there is a personal one-on-one relationship available with him. And though you think you understand his word, have you read it and asked him to open your eyes to it so that you can see it and you could taste, that you could taste and see that God is good. If you have a relationship with God that's been based upon the negativity and the negative side of God, I'm wondering if you have not encountered the goodness of God. And he says, taste and see that God is good. He's calling us now forward as believers to say, hey, it's time for us to be ready. It's time for us to be ready because he's doing a new thing. He's making a new way where there is no way. He wants to do something in you, through you, and around you. And the question is, am I ready to be used by God? Am I ready to hear his voice and respond? Am I ready to feel uncomfortable? Am I ready to get awkward? Am I, am I ready and am I willing to hear and respond to his voice? When my friend calls me forward, do I trust him enough to take the next step? So as a believer now, I, I, I implore you and I encourage you to ask this simple question of yourself. Am I listening? And am I ready? God wants to do something in you, through you, and around you. He's just getting started.